the awesome power and majesty of God are beyond our abilities and knowledge to fully comprehend. And here on Search for Truth, we're seeking to get to know God better via our Bible study talks with our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. To learn more of this, Brian takes a trip today through time into the Old Testament practices of Jewish worship and to see what was the manner of their approach to God. Our appreciation of just who God is should affect our attitude in worship as well as our daily living. Today's study is called Outwards from the Innermost. And to see why, let's go there with Brian. Thanks, John. I remember an interview with a Jewish rabbi during which he said he knew what the middle word of their Bible was. That being, of course, the Old Testament part of today's standard evangelical Bible. Now, it wasn't that he was boasting. He explained that for him, this was quite natural because he viewed it as a love letter from God. I was reminded of that again the other day when it was pointed out to me that the description of the Day of Atonement is central to the book of Leviticus. This was based on it being the 19th of 37 sayings of God throughout the whole book of Leviticus. Yes, the Day of Atonement was of central importance to the community life of God's ancient people in service for him. Their continuing corporate worship of the God of heaven depended on it. This was because the sins and impurities of the people acted as spiritually toxic contaminants. At this time, God lived in a tent known as the tabernacle that was placed central to the encampment of his people as they travelled through the desert to the land he promised to their forefathers. However, because God is the holy God of heaven and he was interacting with a sinful people on this fallen earth, there had to be, as it were, various buffer zones between God and his people as they, at least representatively, drew near before their God. God's holiness and human sin just don't mix, but they are totally incompatible. Let's try to visualise that with a sort of bird's eye view back then, or imagining we travel back in time with a modern drone. We begin out in the desert remoteness, with the entire encampment of Israel in the distance. We fly in until we come to a surrounding area which can be designated as outside the camp. Venturing further, we travel over a portion of the well-ordered groupings of the tribes with all their individual household tents of the families belonging to them. Our flyover now brings us to the courtyard of the place, acting as a portable temple where God lived among his people. The border here is very clearly marked with high and bright imposing screens with just one colourful gate as its entrance. What first dominates this courtyard is an altar with smoke ascending skywards from sacrifices burning on it. But next, 
we come to the portable tented structure itself, known as the tabernacle proper. At this point, it's necessary to switch on our drone's X-ray capacity. This allows us to detect that the tented structure we've mentioned has a partition boundary inside that makes it into two rooms, an outer and an inner. The Bible often refers to just the outer one as the tent of meeting, and it has some furniture, notably a small incense altar. To go further, we're in danger of intruding into the inner space where only one man in those times was authorised to boldly go, that is, into the immediate presence of the holy God. That holy place is characterised by the Ark of the Covenant. Directly above that stood a radiant cloud, rising like a pillar and depicting to these people the presence of their God who was in residence there. This was very, or most, holy territory, and we've only been able to access it by proceeding through these many distinct buffer zones, each graded on a scale of holiness, as we might suppose, after having come from the remote and, as it were, profane spaces of the solitary desert, far removed from any fellowship with the holy God, seemingly secluded in the innermost part of this portable temple. You know, on missionary travels to various countries in Africa and Asia, I've sometimes watched a someone, and typically it's been a woman, swept the dust out from the family home. Using a primitive brush, she starts deep within the simple house until she makes her way to the doorway, sweeping out the cloud of dust. And then she continues brushing and sweeping the small front yard and out through the gap in the hedge. Even there, she doesn't stop but keeps on brushing the flat earth until the dust is finally swept away into the surrounding vegetation or bush. Now, listen please to a few verses from Leviticus chapter 16 that summarise the annual ritual of the most important day in Israel's calendar year, known as the Day of Atonement. Here's what we read. When he finishes, and that's speaking about Aaron or the high priest, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wrongdoings of the sons of Israel. And he shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands ready. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. That's Leviticus 16 from verse 20 to 25. Now, can you see any parallel with my observation of the lady sweeping the dust 
out from her home. I mentioned how she started deep within and made her way progressively until beyond the edge of what she considered to be belonging to her. Here, in Leviticus 16, we read of how Aaron, the high priest of Israel, first atoned for or cleansed the holy place of God's immediate presence innermost in the tent. Next mentioned is the fact that he atoned for or cleansed the tent of meeting, which was the next zone moving outwards. Then there's mention of the altar outside in the courtyard at which the entire courtyard area was atoned for or cleansed. The remains of the animal sacrifices that day were burned outside the camp. And there was also a scapegoat, a goat that wasn't ceremonially killed, but was directed out into the remote and solitary desert, way beyond the outside place surrounding the camp. Do you see how this was a, a systematic cleansing from deep within to the furthest extremity? As we've looked into the book of Ezekiel already in this series, we've seen that the holiness of God can't coexist with human sin. We've also had our attention drawn previously to both Isaiah's and the Apostle John's glimpse into heaven. Surely the biggest thing that struck them as they recorded their experiences was the utter holiness of the divine being. God is a holy God. Knowledge of God, which we've been exploring, is knowledge of the Holy One. God's holiness is first and foremost the quality of God that sets him apart. He's not like us. He's holy, other, different. But amazingly, God wants contact with us, wants us to approach him in worship. He's done everything to make this possible. The writer of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews explains the relevance of Leviticus chapter 16 to people everywhere today. There we read, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he, that is Jesus, would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's Hebrews chapter 9, from verses 23 to 28. God was picturing ultimate realities for us by using these Old Testament rituals. There is a reality in heaven where sinners who've been forgiven through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus, on the cross, can now draw near to express their gratitude to the infinitely holy God. Even if we believe we're following the Lord Jesus' instructions as we draw near among his people to worship him in heaven each week, 
we must always remain conscious that we live in a defiling world and the God we come to is a consuming fire. Secure in Christ, as blood bought through his death, we still come respectfully and tread softly with reverent fear for the God we worship is awesome beyond anything we can appreciate. What an unspeakable privilege that we can know this God through the person and work of his Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Brian, for your talk today. I hope you found it helpful and encouraging as you listened like I did too. Now, can I remind you as usual that there's a transcript book available of all 12 study talks in this series. So why not send for it? Then you'll be able to get more out of the radio talks. It's available online and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy, then just write in and ask for the book title, A Greater Sense of God. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So it's been a privilege, a great privilege to enjoy your company again today. So thank you for being with us. Do join us again next week for our next talk about getting a greater sense of God. It's called From Eternity to Eternity. So till we see you next time, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Chosen in Christ, oh.